Daryl Crittenden is going to give you a quick update on proposed public fishing and crabbing path forward. We've had a lot of conversation. We think there's a, a way to get one of your boards involved in this process and, and take a look at what we've got. So he's going to do that quickly. Thank you, Mr. Manager. In September 2016, the Colonial Place River, Riverview Civic League requested the city rescind their ban on fishing and crabbing. The Civic League request was met with opposition and therefore we actually had to come up with a solution to actually make sure that one, the neighborhood and communities were informed and also to make sure that we were able to enhance public fishing throughout the city. At the request of the city manager, we decided that we would vet this through the commission and the commission would actually examine public fishing spaces, actually look at expansion of public fishing, as well as come up with a process for these types of requests. Um, the recommendations basically was to direct the commission to convene a work group, which we'll be doing this fall and winter. We'll have two public meetings, and then we hope that the commission will have a plan formulated by January, which we hope to bring to the city council in February for its approval. So you've got a waterfront community with, frankly, very limited opportunities for public fishing and crabbing. And so the real task is rather than looking at one specific thing, take a broader look, let that group take a, a look and see what can we come up with to bring back to you all in six months as a broader recommendation. And in the interim, will the Everything stays the way it is. Everything stays, stays as, as is. All right. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, next time, John Sanderling is going to jump up, City Auditor is going to jump up and introduce uh, Cheryl Zistros from KPMG. I'm here to do um, lay out for you the process uh, for our annual audit. Good evening. Good evening. As you're aware, we are in an audit cycle for our 2017 financial audit, and we have our external auditors here, Representative Cheryl Zistros, who's the partner. She's going to come forward to give you the scope of the audit timeline for the audit, so we'll receive her at this time. Thank you, everyone. I'm glad to be back uh, to speak to you again. Uh, uh, as John mentioned, the purpose of our presentation today is to go over the required communications under professional standards uh, associated with the planning and the preliminary phase of the audit so that you have an idea of what we're going to focus on and, and, and uh, how we've initially assessed, you know, our procedures and process and have an opportunity, if you have any, to give us some input on anything that you might be concerned about that would impact the audit. So, oops, let's see if I got this right. Okay, so I won't go over the agenda. We'll just move straight into... Okay, so first, uh, this is a chart that depicts our, our service team uh, here for the city of Norfolk. Um, everybody on here, with the exception of one person, is the same as in the prior year. So we do bring a lot of continuity. Um, I serve as the engagement partner for all of the engagements that we do for the city of Norfolk, which is both the city, the single audit, the schools, Economic Development Authority. Um, the rest of the team tends to be different, you know, as you move from place to place, uh, just so we can facilitate uh, getting the work done. Um, 
this slide is just a summary of all of the services that we provide under our contract uh, with the city for audit services. Obviously, first and foremost is an audit of the, the CAFR of the city, uh, the large book that will come out later this fall or early winter. Um, we also perform a single audit of the city's grants, including the schools, uh, under the uniform guidance. Um, that was new last year. Uh, there are a number of other reports that we issue, primarily as a result of uh, the guidance from the Auditor of Public Accounts. We have um, some procedures that we perform on the canteen funds over at the sheriff on their behalf, and we issue a report. Um, there's a report on the comparative cost form that gets accumulated with all the other localities in the state uh, that we uh, are involved in, and then we also provide for the Auditor of Public Accounts some assurance on the census data that goes into the Virginia Retirement System audits. Um, there's a landfill uh, agreed upon procedures report that we do that's also required by the state. Uh, because of their, their revenue bonds, water and wastewater funds get their own uh, separate audit reports. And then we also provide the letters of, an, of negative assurance on internal control and compliance under government auditing standards for all of the entities that we look at. Um, this hasn't really changed much from, the, from prior years. Uh, obviously, the areas where we have some of the most significant estimates in the financial statements are around the pension and post-retirement benefits. <coughs> Um, over the next couple of years, we're going to have a new standard there, so uh, more about that uh, coming up. And then we also uh, spend some time looking at the self-insurance consortium that was set up a couple years ago and take a look at those actuarial liabilities also. Um, you know, business risks, you know, but really similar to the past. You always have uh, risks of losing funding from other governments economic conditions, compliance with regulations. Um, significant classes of transactions, again, I mean, these are the key um, classes of transactions that the city processes. You've got the budget, uh, obviously revenue generation, um, payroll, uh, the purchase of other goods and services, and the related procurement, capital assets, debt, and treasury. Um, we will have a little more focus this year on payroll because of some of the things that happened over the winter where, you know, we will spend some time both looking at um, the process that the city went through to identify and correct those errors, and it will have somewhat of an impact on our risk assessment, and it ha definitely has an impact on the single audit, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. <clears throat> yeah. You go back to one slide in terms of economic risk and funds um, mm -hmm. and the possible reduction of federal funds in particular, given the environment that we're in. How do you? Um, you know, what we're really looking for there, Andrea, is like what, you know, what are you worried about, right? And how might that impact the actions that you take as an organization and how might that impact um, risks? you know, in terms of uh, how, you know, how you might move forward with decisions on borrowing or spending or, 
you know, budgetary. So it's really, it's more of parting, trying to assess and planning, you know, the sort of the tone at the top, the environment that the city is operating under and what stresses in that environment that might actually impact at some point, you know, risks from a financial perspective. Yeah, so. Okay, so this uh, slide deals with fraud risks and the first kind of dark blue box uh, kind of lays out what management's responsibilities are related to fraud, um, establishing an appropriate culture and controls. And then the next two boxes are kind of what the auditor does. And the first step is identification of any risks and then trying to make sure you know, that our audit procedures are designed to address those risks. Um, obviously, the purpose of an audit is not to detect fraud. It's to detect material errors in, in the financial statements, in the numbers that you present. But obviously, sometimes fraud can result in those. So that's the context under which we look at it. And again, it's trying to set a framework. Um, at this point in the presentation, for those of you that uh, have been here before, I do always ask if there's anything you're concerned about uh, with respect to fraud that we would need to know uh, as we move forward with the audit. So, anybody? Okay, well, that's good. Um, I threw in here just because over the last several years, uh, there have been an awful lot of new accounting pronouncements. Um, I guess what I would say is that governmental financial statements year after year march closer and closer to what the private sector tries to present in some ways in terms of the measurement focus and the approaches that are taken, at least to the extent it's practical. This year, the only, the only really significant one, the second two won't have much of an impact, is we will have some additional disclosures on tax abatement agreements and uh, the finance folks are still working on, there's a number of different choices um, in terms of how you go about doing that. Uh, and so we'll talk more about that when I come back uh, after the statements are issued. Um, the second box, June 30, 2018, um, that, that next year's audit will require us to implement the new uh, OPEB standard, which is post-retirement health care and other benefits. Um, and if you remember from those of you that were here the year or so ago, we put the pension liability on the books. Now we're going to put the post-retirement uh, benefits on the books as well. Uh, some of the changes that you all have made over the last few years have helped at least keep that liability from growing significantly, taking advantage of the exchanges and some of that with, uh, um, but it will still be, you know, a relatively impactful uh, standard with respect to the financials and will also take a lot of effort from your, of your team in terms of pulling together the information to implement that. And we'll start with that this year a little bit, just making sure that we're ready because it is so significant. Okay, um, single audit is next. And you can see that we've listed up here uh, the six grants on the city side that we're going to be looking at. Um, many of them are the human services grants. And then the, the last one, community investment, that's the new program that is um, building the school uh, over near the 
Navy base. And so that is a very large grant uh, that we'll be taking a look at. It'll probably flow through the audit this year and next year, and then not again. Is that the, the grant coming from the federal government? From the federal to government. Subsidize the building. That's right. right. That's right. Um, so, uh, you know, we're working through that one because it's a, it's a little different since it's a custom agreement, you know, in terms of the testing that we'll do. Uh, obviously, we always try to maximize our ability to test things only once, you know, to do tests in the single audit that help us in the regular audit, and we'll continue to do that. Uh, this year, there are two major programs at Norfolk Public Schools, in addition to the ones up above, which are the school breakfast and lunch program and then improving teacher quality. Um, because of the payroll issues last winter, uh, we had a little bit different risk assessment that we had to go through this year, and because of that, you're seeing some grants being tested that were tested in the prior year as well, rather than if uh, larger grants have to be tested once every three years. So it is going to push us a little bit um, off schedule <laughs> because we had to go back and revisit these, but because these grants have very significant amounts of uh, hourly payroll in them, it was difficult to not assess them as having higher risk um, with the payroll issues that occurred. Um, another thing that's happened, although it's not affecting the scope of the audit very much this year because of the impact of the payroll, is in the middle of all that, the data collection form that gets filed with the federal government was filed late. So the city will be a high-risk auditee only because that form was filed late which increases the scope of the audit for a couple of years. Um, this go-round, I don't think the testing would have changed very much, even if we were not a high-risk auditee, because all of these programs had to be classified as high-risk because of the payroll dollars that were in them. Yeah. So are you saying when you said that you had to, you're going to um, re-audit some of the programs that you had previously audited before we went to the new payroll system, that's just to make sure that there's no discrepancies and that those mm -hmm. hours were accounted yep. for correctly. So you're, so a successful result would be that this new audit basically mirrors right. post-payroll, right. right. mirrors pre-payroll. Because we haven't had any findings mm -hmm you know, ever in these programs related to so the actual payroll dollars that get charged to the federal government under the grant. So we expect that there shouldn't be any That's change right. in that. That would be the That would be the outcome that we hope for outcome. as we work through. And actually, we're, we're pretty close. Like, we may have, um, yeah, like, I mean, what we really have to focus on is, you know, when, when the errors occurred, and then, you know, if you do timely reporting, they get reported, and then did they get corrected? Okay. So, and if all that works out okay, then there won't be any findings, and we'll move on from there. So, but, you know, it does sort of, you know, mess up the grand plan, you know, in terms of how you cycle through these grants when, you know, you go back and retest some that you tested in the prior year. So, but we'll work through that. What? I think it was just an oversight um, in turn, you know, where uh, folks are really busy 
trying to make sure people are getting paid correctly and fix the errors and you know the form slipped through the cracks by a few days you bet you have 30 days from the time the financial statements are issued to actually file the form with the federal clearinghouse and it was due during the same time period when we were yep. trying to fix the errors of that's the right that's right situation. Okay. so i think we i think the report was issued like december 20 ish okay. you know 21 okay. you know and so you know it kind of put us right in the middle of of all that and it was just that very last step you know that didn't has occur. a process been installed so that that won't happen again uh it should be easy for it to not, to not happen again i mean i you yes. know yeah christine yeah yeah i think it'll be uh, it's no, certainly never happened before um but it was a very busy time and you know a lot of other higher priorities at that point in terms of trying to make sure folks are getting paid correctly so um, timetable uh, we've been working through our planning over the last two or three months um, also working on testing you know some of the single audit programs um, and and the IT system test work and we'll kick will kick heavy into the financial statement field work in the you know beginning of October with the goal of trying to issue by November 30. So hopefully we'll be back in December and uh, everything will be good. <clears throat> so hey, Mr. this is just our communication. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my, my concern to me when you bring it back to us, I'd like to know where we are in terms of uh, our retirement system. At mm -hmm. what level we are we are funded? Uh, sure. Mm -hmm. With the with the last administration that pulled out, before they pulled out, we were given one number, and then I think the last time you were here, we were given a lower number. Um, right. You know, I was we were given a up in the mm -hmm. upper eighties in terms of percentage of funding, but I think it's less than that. So I think I'd like to. It would be beneficial for us, not me. Sure. It'd be beneficial for us to know exactly where we are, um, and certainly uh, the markets uh, could be unstable. That, that could it affect us, and so we really need to know where we are. Right. In my opinion. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep, I can definitely do that. I mean, yeah. one thing that happened with the implementation of the pension standard mm -hmm. is that the calculation of that funded percentage moved into the accounting world and out of the actuarial world. And in the actuarial world, they smooth assets, like they take three, four-year averages, you know, that tends to lessen the impact of the market, where when the accountants do it, you know, we're going to look at what the number is on the balance sheet, divide it by the liability on the balance sheet, and, the, you know, the way the reporting worked, there was a down year. You know, which over the last two has kind of turned back around. Um, so, it, I mean, I think you'll see a little bit more. I mean, not you know, I'm not talking huge numbers, but you are going to see a little bit more fluctuation because of the way the the retirement liability right. is reported okay. under the new standards. Thank you. So, yeah, Andrea. Um, along those lines, and this is not it's tangential to KPMG, but are we are we moving forward with the consulting firm who's going to look at our retirement? I've got a report from you from uh, uh, budget planning on that. So okay. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Anything? Anything else I can answer? <laughs>
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mayor, members of council, our next presentation is going to be about Deputy City Manager Mike Goldsmith. And, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about uh, regional activities and regional collaboration. And uh, what I would submit to you is the public safety officials' um, collaboration is, is just part of their DNA. And it is what they do um, by the fact of who they are. And I'm really pleased with what you're going to hear tonight. Mike's got uh, three guests with him. Uh, Chesapeake Deputy City Manager Bob Geis. Uh, Virginia Beach Deputy City Manager Steve Cover, and then Martin Colbert, who is the FBI Special Agent in charge of the Norfolk Field Office. Um, and, and I think that's a pretty good message in and of itself, that we'll get two Deputy City Managers from adjacent cities. Uh, Norfolk, Virginia Beach, and Chesapeake are the three communities right now that have Deputy City Managers for public safety. And Mike's going to talk to you about some things that will sort of remind you of why we've done that. But uh, I'm, I'm really pleased with what they're doing and the path that we're going on. And the reality is it's a different world today and a world with some really unique challenges. And we've seen that in other communities. And uh, I want you to know kind of the path that we're going down, frankly, as a region. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, Mayor, members of council, Mr. Manager, um, I'm really excited to give this presentation. As Mr. Smith has said, uh, uh, he's already given the introductions of the folks that are, are here. Uh, so, just to give you a little bit of what the overview is going to be for the presentation, I want to talk a little bit about what Regional Homeland Security is. Uh, we're going to talk about what makes Hampton Roads special in this arena. In other words, why are we attacking this in a regional method uh, based on how we're constructed in the complex littoral environment that we live in. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about threats. Uh, we're going to talk about challenges to regional response and what makes that difficult, particularly here. Uh, talk about some events that have happened in other parts of the nation and what the challenges were to uh, having a coordinated response to those serious events. Uh, and then we're going to cover uh, the acronym up there, and I've been accused of uh, using way too many of those as I've moved into the public safety role. Um, but that stands for the Joint Counterterrorism Awareness Workshop that Chesapeake was good enough to host for the region. Um, a lot of information came out of that, uh, and uh, Chief Cover is going to talk about some of the lessons learned from that event and how we move forward from there. And then I'm going to talk about at the close about a new partner that we've got uh, that's going to take us even further forward uh, as we move through. Uh, so without further ado, uh, I'm going to turn this over to Captain Geis. Well, I've got the easy part. I get to just tell you what you probably already know is that uh, here in the Hampton Roads area, we are, in fact, uh, unique in the world. Um, you know, we are, uh, we are uh, at... A place in, in our nation and really in the world that's unique. We uh, have not only an international presence, we have a, a fast-growing region, but we have a lot of interdependencies and we'll talk about that. We also are a very uh, festive community, right? Every every city in, in the Hampton, South Hampton Roads area has some large festival and it draws international visitors and, and visitors from all of the United States. In fact, this weekend in Oceana, my old base, um, is hosting uh, its annual air show, and that typically brings in over 250,000 people over the weekend. So we, we draw a lot, of, a lot of visitors, and we believe that public safety, taking care of our citizens, taking care of our citizens and, and our visitors that come in is really the most important part that government has. So 
Um, why is that important? Well, you, as you know, our region is uh, a driver. We have um, an economic driver in the, in the port as well as, as a huge military presence. Um, our region is unique in that its interdependency with the military is widespread. There's a lot of talk about, about trying to get away from that dependency, but the fact is it exists today. Uh, we have the largest concentration of military, uh, of the U.S. military, anywhere in the country. You know we're the home of the world's largest naval base. Captain Doug Beaver's here and represents the city on that. Um, and it supports readiness of the entire United States Atlantic fleet. Uh, it is a huge driver of the economy and, and employment. And, and in Oceania, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, it has 300 tactical jets that are home base there as well. And we have nearly a quarter of the nation's active duty military that live here in the region. Uh, we also have a third of the Navy's shipbuilding and ship repair capacity. So huge presence. The Department of Defense spending supports over 40% of our regional employment. And we have over 8,000 service members that, that transition out of the military each year here in the Hampton Roads area. So we have a huge workforce, a very uh, capable workforce that, that comes into our community uh, as civilians ready to go to work. We also, of course, have the, have the third largest commercial port on the East Coast. And it's continued to grow here in the, in the near term. And Norfolk hosts the Port of Virginia's Norfolk International Terminal, one of the region's most significant economic assets, and it makes us an integral uh, member of the international community. The Port of Virginia, as you all know, handles over 81 million tons of cargo, generates $60 billion of economic activity, and provides employment for port-related activities and industries for over 343,000 Virginians. And of course, last but not least, Norfolk Southern is a huge regional asset that has a, has a, a national footprint. And as I said, it's vital that we support and protect this critical infrastructure. Martin. Okay, so the, the threats that are here, obviously, um, you know, everybody focuses on, from my standpoint, the terrorism part, right? That's on top of everybody's list. But uh, as you can see, other things that we are involved in from a federal level uh, would happen with the, the natural uh, threats that are here. So what's happening in Houston and in Florida right now, the FBI and the other uh, contingencies, federal contingencies are out there, are helping support the effort to, um, to mitigate the threats that are out there from that. So a lot of us, uh, when we started talking about this, we start talking about, you know, how does the federal government, how does the FBI play in this? Um, and we want to run the range across the board and be a full partner with all the law enforcement and other first responders here. So, um, like I said, I could belabor the IEDs, the active shooters, um, and the homegrown violent extremists. We've had an incident of each of those in my 11 months that we've been here, right? We've, we've, we've arrested two HVEs in the local area. Um, we've had active shooters uh, in situations mainly, mostly in small things, and we've been able to disrupt some IEDs and, and manufacturing of that. So, again, with the uh, with those types of threats that are out there. The other one that um, I don't want to over, overstate or understate is the cyber threat, which is something that's out there and we're all aware of. Um, Bob mentioned all the different things that we have in this, uh, in this AOR. My AOR, uh, for me, runs all the way to James City County. 
uh, all the way up the eastern shore and then out past Isle of Wight uh, on the south side. So we have a, a lot of stuff that we have to take care of. And as I drive past most of this stuff every night, I go, oh, that's a problem. Oh, oh that's a problem. <laughs> so, um, you know, and just to add to the, some of the other stuff that, that, that I have here is, you know, the NASA, the two NASA sites, one being a launch site up on the eastern shore, which is a, a huge concern for me as well. Um, and then uh, we got NSA, CIA, we have all the military again, so. Uh, challenges across the region. Uh, communications are number one challenge. So the fact that we have gotten together and we're starting to talk about that is going to mitigate that, the, the largest challenge that we have. Um, most of the departments, whether it be fire, rescue, uh, police, don't necessarily talk on the same stuff. We, we try to do the best integration. The federal partners don't necessarily talk to uh, the local partners. So we're working on ways to make sure that we have that. So that's, that's one of the big things that we have. Uh, joint training to make sure that we have joint protocols in place to standardize the way we respond to different things. Uh, to not only, I think from the first responders, we have a pretty good dialogue going, but it's more to get this group and the, and the politicians and the community leaders involved as well because they are just as much a, a, a part of the first response as, as we are. So uh, that's a challenge now is how do we integrate the politicians and the community leaders into that first response, into that training that's going on because we don't necessarily train that way. One of the things that we've talked about in our group is we have lots of training exercises but we usually exercise the same muscle every time that we go out there, right? We, enter, we, um, we exercise the tactical portion. And all our SWAT teams and all of our fire and rescue are, are practiced, but the rest of it we've got to bring up. So that's a challenge that we, that we have. Um, and then also trying to get the cities to work together to correlate your budgets with each other and looking at what each city and municipality is going to buy that will support the whole of the area rather than just your city, right? And again, we don't need cities buying the same things and then having them sit in a warehouse somewhere decaying because nobody's using it. So again, we want to use money the best way possible that will support it. So there's no reason for Portsmouth and Norfolk to buy the same equipment if we can work on something jointly. Mike asked me to talk about some of the recent national events, um, and obviously you've watched some of it. The, the one that's not on here that I always bring up as a, unfortunately, a massive failure was the Navy Yard <coughs> shooting, right? So both of them were abysmal failures on the part of how we responded to the exercise. Um, we didn't coordinate how people were going to show up. We didn't coordinate once people got on scene. We didn't coordinate the social media very well. Um, and so there was lots of misinformation about those. And all of these fell into some form of that. These are interesting because they fall in different types of things. You've got the, the shooting in Aurora at the, um, at the movie theater. You've got the Pulse nightclub. You've got San Bernardino and the Navy Yard. And they're all different in the way that the things that were responded. So, again, I go back. What do we need to get in there to train? We need to make sure that the hospitals are part of our training. We need to make sure that from our standpoint and mine, and I, I've said this to um, 
Senator Warner's office was once we start into an investigation, what's going to be shared to the politicians and to the locals may make some people upset. And so we need to train people now that there are going to be times as we move on to investigations that we're going to ask certain people, non-law enforcement, to walk out of the room. And so, and I know, Mayor, that's going to be a tough thing because you've got a constituency you got to answer to, and that we're going to, tr but we want to make sure that we're getting you the most information as possible, but there's going to be time. So, again, you've got to be part of that training. This, this, this committee's got to be part of the training of, okay, when do I kick people out? How do we move over here? How do we get our joint message out there? So my public, uh, my public affairs uh, person is working with other public affairs, not just with first responders and law enforcement, but with um, some of the city managers as well and their offices and your offices to make sure that we train together to make sure we get our message out together. So that's something that we want to want to do. So. Um, and then also continuing our education and um, community outreach. So I know each of us uh, cities has uh, citizens academies and things that we do uh, with our community leaders. And, um, you know, the FBI, certainly we get out as much as we can. I will say this, in the different places I've been around the country and I've spent most of the last 15 years in some type of crisis response, um, I am very encouraged with the Hampton Roads area. It is one of the closest knit communities that I've seen. The seven cities work better together than most municipalities I've ever been in. So we're way ahead uh, than other places I've seen. So I think this is a great step forward for us as well. So, so back in June, uh, the 20th, 20th and uh, 21st of June, we had this, uh, this joint counterterrorism awareness workshop uh, sponsored by our partners in Chesapeake. Um, we brought in uh, public safety agencies from across the region. This, uh, this workshop was sponsored by the National Counterterrorism Center, the Department of Homeland Security, and the FBI. Um, it was scenario-based, um, and it involved multiple attacks in multiple jurisdictions with multiple methodologies. In other words, uh, complex, coordinated terrorist attacks, large-scale uh, the, the, the workshop was designed to stretch our, our resources, stretch our capacity to deal with many different large-scale events, incidents across the region. Um, it was a, we had to work on a fully integrated response. Uh, you heard Martin talk a bit about that. Uh, several of these events uh, would have taxed the region on, on their own accord. When you're talking about uh, an active shooter event at uh, at an arena or a ballpark, uh, a major a major uh, festival with a vehicle uh, ramming into the crowd, like we've seen uh, uh, a lot in in Europe, for example, those types of, of things. Um, so so when you get to the lessons learned by by having these types of trainings, where you really do uh, stretch yourself and think about the what-if scenarios and how we, as a region, would respond to that, you, you, you think about the system strain, um, that became evident very early because what typically happens is one of our agencies, one of our cities gets a major event, the first thing we do is call for, for help for one of our neighboring cities, right? 
So we respond to that. Sometimes we over-respond to that, as Martin talked about, and then the next event happens and we're, we're a little short-sighted at times. So we've got to, to really learn and be able to uh, methodically uh, have command and control across these events. Communication, we talked about that being, uh, being very, very uh, important as, as agencies ran out of resources very, very quickly in this process. Uh, another, another lesson learned was no one group really is able to con come together as a region and make those resourcing decisions quickly across our region. That whole command, control, coordination of being able to respond to these types of events. So we're, we're trying to learn. We can apply lessons learned that we uh, look at across the homeland security and the emergency management spectrum that we can apply to these types of events, and that's very helpful. So some, some outcomes that, that we are looking to, to address. Uh, resourcing lists to include not only um, hard assets, public safety-based hard assets, but, but things such as interpreters, um, being able to, uh, to have quickly uh, deal with victims and, and get that intel from those, those victims early on in a scene, social workers, all of those types of resourcing events. Um, we are typically, uh, I think, as public safety agencies, we're really, really do a great job initially in the response phase. It's that aftermath phase that sometimes we don't, as Martin uh, alluded to, we don't, we don't stretch ourselves enough there sometimes in those recovery efforts. So those are some lessons that uh, we need to work on. Uh, establishing cross-training opportunities, not only for, for uh, um, all of our public safety agencies, but, but across our spectrum. Uh, there's, there's going to be some long-term opportunity to engage and train other parts of our organizations. When you think about IT, uh, the, the work that's done in GIS, when we can use GIS to, to layer uh, where, uh, where our resourcing uh, capabilities are, how that applies to the events and where they are, so on and so forth. Um, hospitals, Martin talked about that, making sure we have our, our city leadership engaged with us. So I think the future is, is bright in, in what we're trying to accomplish as a, as a public safety consortium, if you will, to build on our ex, uh, existing strengths to further enhance our readiness, posture, and coordination throughout our region. I think we've, we've just scratched the surface of the capabilities of our people. That is the, the main thing that, I, that you all have going for you, is the, the men and women in your organizations, not only in public safety, but across the spectrum, really do care about this to be able to deliver that, uh, that service to, to your citizens. Thank you very much. Okay, so uh, you've heard a lot about what's going on and what we're trying to do uh, as far as coordinating all of this stuff uh, and trying to make sure that we can effectively respond in what is really a very complicated environment. You've got seven independent cities, you've got counties, you've got towns, you've got multiple agencies, state, local, federal, you've got a huge defense industrial base, and across all of those things, we have to be able to coordinate a response and coordinate it on a lot of different levels. So one of the things we've been looking at and talking about with the group is this idea of a common operating picture. Uh, this idea that we can see in each other's operation centers, in each other's EOCs, what is going on, not just within our jurisdictions, but regionally. 
In other words, a map, a map that feeds live data. It feeds our traffic data. It feeds our calls for service data. It tracks some of our electrical flows. It tracks some of our utility flows. It's layered. It's layered in such a way that we can see what's going on at any moment um, in being able to make better decisions on how resources get allocated based on what we see. Uh, we've attempted this a couple of times in my career in public safety. We have not gotten there yet. Uh, so Norfolk has partnered uh, with a group called Cordillera, Cordillera Applications. Uh, this is a group that has done a ton of work, and uh, Steve, Martin, and Bob were on a conference call uh, with me to talk to them a couple of days ago. Uh, what they're going to do is come in and host and facilitate a three-day uh, working session to examine solutions to urban command and control, uh, coordinated response frameworks, and a flow mapping of the region. In other words, how are things moving in and out? Not just people, but cargo, uh, electricity, all of that. Uh, the idea is that we will take this data and try to develop an implementation plan that will get us uh, from where we are right now further down the road, and they've got some key partnerships with other federal agencies that we're hoping that we'll be able to leverage and be able to bring that in and develop this, this holistic look. Uh, they are currently working uh, with uh, NATO, uh, uh, Command, uh, Allied Command Transformation, which uh, we're well familiar with. Uh, they're working with the Ble uh, British Police Service, the FBI, and they're also doing some similar work uh, with the Atlanta PD. Um, next steps, uh, we're going to continue with this regional resource mapping. We are going to get a catalog together that every public safety agency has so we know where things are, we know how to get a hold of them, we know um, uh, how to activate uh, if we should need it. Uh, we're at, once we get that list, we're going to break into subgroups, start managing it from that way. Um, uh, we'll deliver the Cordier Applications Group seminar to the region and report out to the city managers, um, and that's about it. Questions? I don't have questions, but um, Mike and uh, Steve, uh, Martin and Bob, thank you. Um, when this council decided to elevate Chief uh, Goldsmith to the deputy city manager, this was the task that we that, that we gave him. And Mike, um, you have exceeded uh, in short time what we you know what we've asked you to take this on as a as a as a responsibility to better have uh, collaboration with our federal partners in our. Uh, sister cities and to better coordinate our resources to make sure we, we aren't duplicating uh, efforts. Uh, who has command uh, if there is an active shooter or man-made or natural disaster? Uh, we will probably be the first uh, team to respond, Team Norfolk, but at some point that responsibility has been transferred over to the, the federal authorities. Uh, we, we do have majority of the assets, the federal assets here in the city of Norfolk. Uh, but we do recognize that Virginia Beach and Chesapeake and others uh, had a similar. Um, so we're very grateful, very thankful for, for this effort. And I don't know if there are additional comments or questions. Uh, Mr. Riddick. Yeah. <clears throat> With our port and the number of containers we have, somewhere in the last few months, I read that the Trump administration was going to stop paying for inspections of these containers. Was that just a proposal or is that real a reality? And if so, what do we do to make sure we, you know that because you know, we have containers coming in by rail, they're coming in by sea, and we store a lot of containers. So 
Yeah, it is disappointing if that funding goes away because that will have some impact on us and our Homeland Security posture. However, with that being said, Customs and Border Patrol uh, has a robust scanning program that is independent okay. of the funding that President Trump was talking about. Uh, we can certainly speak with Martin uh, and talk to our federal partners about how we might bolster that if that funding goes away. Um, there are some things we can do uh, that we can talk about at a later date. Um, but I, I feel confident the CBP is going to be able to do their job. And Mr. Riddick, it was a proposal by, uh, by the President. However, when, um, when Winter and I went to, to Washington uh, to meet with our uh, federal delegation, we made it very clear uh, that that funding, uh, cutting that funding to, uh, to police and inspect our, uh, our containers would be harmful and detrimental to the city of Norfolk. They assured us uh, that they would uh, try everything in their power to, to preserve uh, that funding and not to have those cuts. Um, Andrea. Um, we talk a lot about this use of technology. Um, and one of the things that we're working on, um, and we look at it from an economic development perspective, but there's a real public safety perspective, is this regional fiber ring to hook all of our cities together so that you can have access in a safe and secure way to share this information. So as we move forward on this, and we'll have a Go Virginia uh, grant application, but regardless of that, I think we, as a city and as a region, need to support this for public safety as well, so. Um, um, in all of what you're talking about, I just thought about something that um, just very local to us, but that's the Tide Park. Do we have, um, what is it, do we have like a, plan might be too simple of a word, but do we have a plan in the event that there is some kind of um, active shooter or bomb threat or something or another at a baseball and, game? And that's exactly the kind of things these guys are, are playing out, the scenarios they're playing out. And I think that the, the scenario in Chesapeake was a multiple of those bands. So where we've got our ballpark, others have arenas, others have, we've all got these venues. And so by having everybody work together and say, all right, what would happen if, if this place we, we uh, can complement each other and reinforce each other? And no, it's, a, it's a very real concern. And Ms. Ray's one of the tasks that we, we asked Mike Goldsmith uh, is to make sure that Team Norfolk, those individuals who are working those events, how, to, how they usher people uh, to safe places and, and and so that's part of the training. And part of the training that Doug uh, has shared with me is uh, what I can't say and what I can't say. Um, no. If it's a man-made or a national disaster, you know, what's my role yeah. as mayor? Uh, you don't have to worry about me you know, you know, getting involved in an investigation. If you say leave the room, I'm not out of the room. <laughs> um, but that's part of all, you know, Harbor, Harbor uh, even one of our schools. Uh, and so um, this is part of the task. Uh, you know, we have the airport. Uh, the, the, the regional airport is in the, is in the city of Norfolk. Uh, we have the, the port, as Mr. Riddick uh, mentioned. Uh, we have Naval Station Norfolk. We have NATO. Uh, we have so many uh, of... Uh, it's not if, it's just when something will happen. Uh, and so we just want to be prepared and build these contingencies. Go ahead, sir. I, I think to your, to your question, though, is yes, I, I think each of the local police departments and first responders have those. At least that's what I have seen. So... Um, you know, take the, the incident last night in Portsmouth, right? So they had a shooter in a barricade situation, and that's one of probably three in the last three months that we've had in this area, right? We had one up in York County. We had this one. Whatever, you've had two here. You've had, you know, one in Virginia Beach. So um, 
you know, from my standpoint, what we see is uh, that each of the municipalities has handled it without any real assistance. So, you know, every time something like that happens, I'm notified. I usually call the chief. I was on the phone with Chief Chapman last night in Portsmouth waiting to see if they needed additional help. Most of them don't so because they all have a very good plan in place already. So I would say, yes, you, you, you have that here as well. Okay, so again, uh, thank you very much. I think that we have something for you before you leave. Sir, I want to thank. Yep. Sir, what we have is something from the city of Norfolk. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. I'm hoping their man will show me as much love. No, no, no. Mike, you can't leave. Don't try. Get back over here. <laughs> no, 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 no. Come on, get here. <laughs> so, Mayor, there, there was intentional symbolism in, frankly, having these folks from the other communities and, and the FBI come make that presentation. Yeah. Mike will pay that back in, in the other communities because this really is a regional effort. When you look at those four men, you've got a um, former fire chief, a former police chief, a former commanding officer from NAS Oceana, and obviously the uh, field office. Uh, and, and, and Doug, again, when we decided to, to, when this council decided to, uh, to move uh, Mike to Deputy City Manager. We wanted that collaboration, coordination, because those resources uh, are out there, but they were operating independently. Seven municipalities operating very independently uh, about something that's very real uh, that could uh, affect uh, the whole region. And so I'm, I mean, we're very proud and very grateful that, that you responded and uh, that Mike is actually doing the work that we, that we assigned. So we really so appreciate it. Lots more Mr. to Reddy. come. Yeah. But one of, the, one of the things that I mentioned to uh, Mike while we were uh, on our recess, and I'm serious about this, is that um, at first I thought about, you know, metal detectors, people coming to the council chambers, um, but then that would be kind of expensive. But anybody who goes in scope of Chrysler Hall is one. And I want to see anybody that comes in our chambers, they can be one. We Certain people who have a license to carry a gun, that's fine. But I would have no got a gun out there, you know. And I'm serious, and, and I think we need to start that right away because people have uh, emotions, and sometimes their emotions just carry them, you know, over the edge. And I, I really think that, you know, and, and with the rapid fire of, uh, of these uh, automatic weapons, magazines. it could take us all out. We heard you. We're we taking a hard look at the building, yeah. and particularly um, access to the 9th, 10th, 11th floors. And um, you want to balance that um, access to government with the realities of this world we're in today. Because we have had incidents where, um, after city council meetings, people have wandered up here to the 10th floor. Um, we may come back just to pick something up. and. People are, are on this floor. Well, we, we have implemented some changes you probably haven't seen. What I would say to anybody here is if you are ever uncomfortable, um, that um, we have um, folks that are ready to step in at any minute, just make me aware of that or anybody. So manager, you got to. 20 minutes, sir. George Homewood, non conforming lot process. Where are you, bud? He actually looks shocked there. I know. George has been uh, George bumped. Uh, at least twice. I heard Paul was bumped today. Yeah, almost. <laughs> Get your running shoes on. It was. <laughs> okay. Um, be very, very quick. Um, 
We want to talk to you a little bit about some improvements we've made um, to the non-standard lot process and um, the, um, the, the direction we're headed going forward. Um, this is not intended to be the last time we have a conversation about this, um, but I know that some of you have had um, some of your constituents um, that have expressed some, some concerns, so we want to make sure that you understand what the process is um, and, and why we and what, what we're doing to, to try to make it better. Um, so, background. Non-standard lots are lots that are, we sometimes refer to them as narrow lots, so they are less, have less than the lot width that is prescribed by the zoning ordinance. Um, typically, you know, an awful lot of the city for um, single family is zoned to require a 50-foot lot, um, so anything that's 49 feet and less is a non-standard lot. Um, and um, the, this only applies to single-family detached and to new homes. It does not um, apply to renovations. It doesn't uh, apply to, to any of the, the kind of rebuild um, types of situations, only to, to new. Um, there are two ways to comply. Um, the first is through a special exception, and that used to be the only way to comply. Um, and quite frankly, um, a predecessor city council decided that they really wanted to have an alternative to looking at these things um, at, at all of their meetings. Um, and so the alternative is a uh, what we call a zoning certificate, which is an administrative process, um, and at the end of which time, if the person is not satisfied, they still have the opportunity to ask for a special exception um, and come to the planning commission and, and city council. Um, this process has also been applied contractually um, as well as in, in some parts of code um, to uh, the, uh, properties that are acquired from the city uh, and um, you know, when you all sell land uh, very often it comes with the requirement um, either from the code or the contract of sale that it um, go through the, the city's design process um, and again only the, the single family. Um, lots. Now, if you sometimes city property is sold for other purposes, and often that also goes through a design process, but that goes through the architectural review board. This is not an, an ARB process. Um, the current process is um, rather complicated and cumbersome. I don't intend for you to read the the flowchart there, other than to notice it's got an awful lot of boxes and an awful lot of, of steps. At the bottom, the, the key to this is that the current process is extremely high touch. Um, and we are, um, quite frankly, not staffed at the level that we need to be to continue to do that high touch on every single application that comes in and meet our customer service goals. Um, and so that's why we want to, uh, well, I should say, the, the process, I don't think anybody doubts the results of the process. You know, we're getting good product from it. It's just, it's taking um, a longer time than, than it should. Um, so what we're trying to do now is create some process improvements um, and so do that now. And then with the new zoning ordinance, we want to um, affect additional process improvements. Um, so what we're trying to do is focus on the, the parcels that are the most important. Um, and so, quite frankly, those parts of the city that are in the traditional character district where you have the, the, um, the forms that um, are from the, the, the streetcar suburb era of the city um, are the, the areas where 
building the modern suburban style house of today sticks, the mo sticks out most like a sore thumb. Um, and so those are the areas where um, we think that, quite frankly, we should pay more attention. Um, and if we have to, to try to, to manage the workload, that's where we, we pay our attention um, and relatively less attention to um, some of the other areas. It's not that we're not going to pay, we're, it's not that we're paying no attention, but it's, it's essentially using a magnifying glass as opposed to a microscope. Um, and so we still will continue to, um, to look at the suburban character district, continue to, to look at lots that are 49 feet as opposed to, to um, 30 feet, um, but it's, um, we're, we're going to try to give them a little bit less of a, of a um, stiff review um, and more based on what could be built as a matter of right um, on those properties since many of them are very close to, to that in any case. Um, just so, you know, from a personnel standpoint, um, our zoning administrator, Mr. Tahan, is going to, um, is now has the lead on anything that is in the suburban character district, um, and he is involved, along with uh, Mr. Cooper and Mr. Straley, um, on um, looking and reviewing all these. Since it's in the zoning ordinance, it's ultimately the zoning administrator um, who has the, the um, responsibility for um, implementation. We're also now sending out, when we do the buildable lot letters, which people apply for to decide whether a lot can be built upon, and there's, that, that's a discussion for a whole, whole other day as to what's in all that. Um, we are now providing the form and design um, criteria that apply to that character district in the buildable lot letter so that there aren't any surprises. Um, some, of the, some of the problems we deal with is that people who, sometimes, who do these, sometimes this is the first project they're doing in the city of Norfolk, and they're surprised. Um, and that's, that's a bit of an issue for us as well as for them, and we want to um, avoid um, that, that sort of thing. We're also going to have checklists um, and revised brochure in place by the end of this week, um, and we'll get a copy to you. So the goal is to take that rather complicated um, org chart or, or wiring diagram of how the process works um, and reduce this number of steps um, and in so doing reduce the amount of time that it takes. Um, currently it takes at least five weeks um, and that's actual review time. So if somebody submits something and gets comments back, the time from comments to, re to, to resubmitting isn't counted in that five weeks. And we want to turn this, we want to turn it around in two weeks. Um, that's our customer service goal for what we do in planning, um, and we want this process to meet that, that goal as well. In the new zoning ordinance, we're proposing even more process improvements. Um, the new ordinance, I think all of you, I hope all of you are aware uh, by now, is a form-focused um, ordinance, so an awful lot of the, um, the, the, the districts um, will have form standards that um, will automatically give a certain amount of um, this sort of guidance that we do in the narrow lot, only it will apply everywhere in the city, not just narrow lots, but on all the lots. Um, and um, so um, those basic form standards uh, will provide the basis for most of the um, design and form review that, that we're going to do. Um, for non-standard lots in the coastal and the traditional 
um, and suburban, we will have some enhanced form standards, um, and they will apply depending on the, um, the width of lots. So um, 50 feet or wider, the basic form standards apply everywhere, um, though we are building in a 10% variation. So 49 feet will be the same as 50 feet, um, and 48 feet will be the same as 50 feet. Um, going forward, so that um, because I, I can't I can't stand out and tell you the difference between a 49 foot lot and a 50 foot lot, um, and so we think that that's kind of a ridiculous thing to to draw a line in sand on. Um, from 49. So what happens to, about the line in the sand at 48? Hmm? What about if 48 becomes the new line? The well, 50 now. 50 now. Um, I'm just saying, you know, someplace somebody's got to draw a line. There, in the there's going to be a line. So that's why we're doing a plus or minus 10%. The last one we put it on that was controversial in Ocean View was the 49 and a half foot one. Yeah. I, I'm know, just saying, you know, at some point we've got to figure out what we're going to allow. And if everybody knows we're going to allow 48, then somebody's going to come in with 47 and say, well, for God's sake, it's only a foot. <laughs> sure. Right. Um, but these are not lots that are being created for the most part. These are lots that are out there and exist, and right, many of them for well over 100 years. I understand. Um, so then in the, the 49 to 37 and a half foot, um, again, it's going to strictly be a form standard, although some enhanced form standards. Um, and then only when we get down below 37 and a half feet will we get moving into the more high-touch um, zoning certificate uh, approach. Um, the advantage that... The, the, the difference between the, the enhanced form standards and the zoning certificate um, is that the zoning certificate is entirely context-based. So the first thing you do is you go out and you walk the street and you figure out what everything on the street looks like, whereas the enhanced standards are going to be character district-based um, and so will be a lot more generic and won't require um, customizing a home to a particular site. Um, this is our next steps, and I'll be glad to answer any questions you got. All right. George, thanks, bud. Appreciate your patience these last couple of meetings. Kim, if you don't mind throwing up the uh, retreat agenda, I can do this quickly. I want to also just make a couple of um, uh, agenda comments to you. Public hearing item one, Lester Avenue, was continued from last meeting. We've got a letter from the Navy. You've all seen this uh, with, of no opposition. However, staff is still recommending denial because it's not in line with Plan Norfolk 2030. Uh, it's a density issue. Um, that letter is in y'all's boxes. And then um, R2, you remember the lease of um, Brook Avenue was continued from last meeting. There's a memo uh, that you all, it was in y'all's boxes that I hope, I hope I answered some questions and just want to make sure everybody saw that. In terms of the retreat, um, you will get an electronic version of your notebooks uh, Thursday night. It will have all the information uh, ahead of time, which will allow you to spend Thursday through the weekend sort of reviewing that. And then Monday, you'll have a binder at your place uh, at the attics uh, with all that information in it so you don't have to uh, thumb through that. What, uh, and just in terms of running you through really quickly, uh, we'll come in, do exactly what you expect, sort of give an overview of what we're going to try to accomplish in the next uh, day and a half, uh, give you all... Uh, about 45 minutes, five minutes each to just say what y'all's, you know, hopes and desires and what it is that you, that you hope uh, to accomplish out of the retreat. Um, uh, John Martin will come in. You remember the, the vision and the brand statement and one of the things we talked a lot about 
sort of this idea of one Norfolk and a, and a, and a welcoming community and a, and a big tent, and we've incorporated those things into that uh, that placemat and really shrunk that down and, and calling it the Norfolk story. And I think you'll really like what you're going to see there. And I think that's some good conversation to to, to kick all of this off. Uh, then we get into some of the just meat that we got to you know give context to, and we got to give you the fiscal context of. How do we look? You know, how's the year end uh, look? What's that looking like? And what's that 10-year forecast look like? What's the framework uh, from a uh, fiscal perspective? Um, Going to give you a straw man as a dashboard. And frankly, it's that thing we talked about. It. Like I've told you all, if you give me five, and you know, if I give you five pages worth of stuff that we're going to track day in and day out, we end up not paying attention to any of it. We're going to give you that one page of things that we think you ought to be using to hold us accountable. And then we'll give to you all and look at that you know Thursday through the weekend and make sure that it starts to address the things that you want to address so we'll have some conversation there uh, we'll get into sort of what we're calling engagement we'll start with civic engagement which will be a piece of you know, a little bit more conversation around starting with the budgeting process and how the how the community is going to be able to get involved here in the fall in that budget process and then get into what I call sort of institutional engagement which is boards and commissions I've heard a lot from you that you want to have some conversation about uh, that process and they'll give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, Thelma will come in and give you your, your straw man on the initial, you'll see this Thursday, of the legislative packet and give us a chance to, to talk through that. Um, and then we'll have what we're calling council engagement, which is y'all got some issues that I've, that I've heard sort of come up of how you do business and different things that have come up on your plates. And it's a, frankly, that's going to be your time to talk about you all, yourselves and, and some of how you work and, and those sorts of things. And then we'll have a, uh, at this point, I don't anticipate needing a closed session, but if we do, we've got that that, that penciled in uh, for Monday night, but we'll break and have some social time, uh, first at the attics and then uh, the dinner afterwards. And then Kim, if you can shoot for day two. Uh, day two is really getting into your priorities. And so we're gonna lay out a tool, I'm gonna lay out a tool for you of sort of what is the, the what I'll call the current state of um, housing, education, safety, your, your three priorities. We're going to do a little work to try to say, what is it? What do you want those things to look like? What's the future state of each of those items? And we'll we'll talk about each. We've got specific things to talk about uh, with public safety. Been some conversation um, uh, among yourselves about animal cares. So we've got a presentation on animal care. Uh, we've got a follow-up on public safety. Y'all talked a lot about code enforcement, and so we're going to have to, we're going to make a presentation to you, but give you a chance to have some conversation there. Then we'll pause and talk about. That idea of, all right, so what is public safety? What is it you want it to look like and, and be um, in, um, in Norfolk? Jump into education and um, really going to focus on the funding formula. And we think we've got a pretty interesting proposal for you to contemplate that uh, starts to lay out how a funding formula would work both on the operating side and the capital side. And I think that'll be uh, thought-provoking and, and interesting for you. Uh, we'll also talk about sort of what, you know, what does education look like for you all as a, as a priority. Uh, then we'll get into housing. And remember, we had the whole conversation about strengthening neighborhoods and what does that look like. And we've got a pilot program we want to do in a couple of neighborhoods. And we haven't, haven't been able to reach exact consensus on what those neighborhoods should be. So we figured we'll go ahead and get, the, get into that um, in the retreat and see if we can't uh, resolve that. And uh, then we'll sort of wrap up the retreat over, over lunch and... Um, and then if you all um, have other stuff that you, you know, council interests and things that are just on your mind that you want to talk about as a group, uh, we can do that as long as you want to do it. So we've got, you know, the, the end of the retreat uh, laid out for that. I do know the mayor's scheduling a, um, 
another community meeting for St. Paul's, in this case the businesses in St. Paul's for 3.30 uh, that afternoon, but that gives us plenty of time uh, to leave into that. And you didn't, I didn't see an evaluation of the orange. So we have, we, we, that's not on the plate at this point. Uh, yeah, it, up there. So here's what I, what I would argue is separate them. Right I know that, but I would tell you, um, do it on a work set. Separate it. I mean, do it the next Monday if you want. Yeah, I want to do it like we do it. Always do it <laughs> right. at the retreat. All right. So and 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 uh, and devote enough time to it. So okay. Let's don't change that. Right, well, that's why I'm showing it to you. So yeah. this is a chance to. So when have you historically yeah. done it? At the beginning or the end? No, it's after Tuesday. right at the end. So I would just ask that when we did our interviews for city manager, one of the things we talked about was having an evaluation form. Right. So I'm finding that Monday would be a little early for us to do that. I, I appreciate, Paul, that this is important for well, us we to have do. A, we have an attorney. We have a clerk. Right, and we, we have, have no evaluation form. Yeah. You say form? I'm saying that we need to have some kind of structured yeah. framework. Yes, and we talked about that with Doug yeah. when he interviewed. Yeah. And I feel that he deserves that, as do Bernard and our other folks. So um, I crazy. thought maybe Kenny and, and some of us could work on such a form. I think there need to be some benchmarks yeah. that we're looking at. Well, here's the thing. I think we come up with these ideas and we say we need to do it and nobody ever does it. And then we come back to a place where we have to do it and nothing has been done, right. as we are right now. I think that from the time we hired Doug up until this point is not necessarily been enough time to put together something uh, because nothing has been done. So I think keeping it the way it has been this year and then making it a priority of somebody's, right. if it's Kenny and a body of one or two, at probably just one to keep it from being a public meeting, then it, you know, and then bringing that back, you know, to us in closed session because it's personnel, um, and and having us discuss how we want to do it and putting a formal. But I don't think we should skip it all together in lieu of we said we were going to do something different. And we haven't done anything to get to anything different. And then we'll look up next year in September and we'll be having the same conversation. So, so we I'm confused about why we just hired Doug. Why would we evaluate him? I understand that. No, I understand that. But why? I, I would. I think Doug. Is I would show that we exclude Doug. Because yeah, yeah. we just made our decision. That was his evaluation. There still be some. Still we can get you in January. Things about. His so interaction that we need to okay. talk about. I Tuesday, mean, it's, it's, it's not ready? perfect. What time do we have it at Tuesday? And I won't disagree with that. One o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Tuesday at one o'clock. I got one more yes, thing. Yes, Ms. Ray. We got, okay, we have a lot to talk about in 10 minutes. We have strategic in like three different places or two different places, and we have like 20 minute time, 10 and 20 minute time frames to talk about stuff that we label as strategic. I don't like it when we cram in a bunch of stuff and we don't get to really have meaningful conversation because we've crammed in so many different things. I mean, I think part of the reason why we went to doing like a mini retreat in between the retreat was so we could get to some of those things that 
we didn't necessarily get to get to in the retreat or we don't get to get to in our work sessions or whatever, but you got 10 minutes for yeah, animal care. We can do that here one day. Safety. I mean, we can. Yeah, we can it's do that not here. necessarily. Animal, not, really isn't an overarching thing. It's, it's right. nothing. I mean, you for can take the that retreat, out. For, that's but it's not 30 minutes of time that, you know, I mean, I don't I'm know. I'm just thinking, thinking there's a lot of strategic stuff there that's only a lot at 10 minutes, and I don't know how you can be strategic in 10 minutes. I'm kind of thinking overview and retreat goals. It seems like we've got a lot of strategy at other times to allow allow an um, hour and a half for that. Is that right? Or for, I guess it's 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Opening thoughts. We can take the animal care out. And, and then you want us to scarf down lunch in 15 yeah. minutes. All right, so Doug, we um, you gotta gotta rearrange this. Man. Uh, Mr. Reddy, we got let's get upstairs and we'll get want, we'll get something back out to you. I, just, I, I mean, if we're gonna take animal care out, that's fine. No, we're important. not. Well, we're not gonna take it out. It because is. We, have we can a, put it in a we'll animal care session. We can do that here. Session on the yeah, first we're, Tuesday. We're, we're, yeah, we're, it's we're, not overarching. It's not policy. Yeah. Well, it may be policy. Depends on what comes out of it. But I think I think some of this agenda though was created based off of council members' concerns and Andrea. And Kenny both asked for animal care to be discussed. I didn't ask for it, but they did on, at the retreat. There's other things on there that other council members have asked for that's on the agenda. So, I mean. But was that the most important thing that you asked for? It can't be. I mean, not the animals are not important, but is that what is at the retreat? Or Let's get upstairs. I get back and tweet this thing. We're tweeting the control, man. We're losing control. I'm upstairs. I'm upstairs, buddy. The only thing you're missing up there is the dog and pony. Okay, all right.